Our gospel lesson today comes from the gospel of Matthew in the 25th chapter, starting in the 31st verse. I invite you, as you're able, to stand for the reading. Jesus speaks, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed by My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. I was thirsty, and you gave Me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. A few years ago, in one of those stories that sound more like an urban legend than real, a couple was driving uh, not far from Vancouver, B.C. And along the way, they saw a hitchhiker who one of the members of the couple thought they recognized. They decided to stop and lend a hand. It was none other than Bono from the band U2 who had gotten lost. And unlike the sheep and the goats and the vision that we just heard from Jesus, this couple, which included the NHL star Gilbert Brule, recognized Bono and it's why they decided to lend a hand. As they tell the story, they were blessed even when they dropped him off to get to shake the hand of the great guitarist The Edge, and as he shook their hand, he said, thanks for dropping him off. They were blessed, and they loved to tell the story. And you can check me out. It's real. It's, you can find it in news sources. They even got invited to the concert later. But you got to wonder, this is what I thought about as I read this story. How many U2 fans 
passed by Bono that day. How many just drove on by? And that takes us, doesn't it, right into the vision that Jesus gives us in the text today? We're asked to wonder how many of us just drive on by Jesus. Jesus the King, as one commentator put it, went incognito. Both the sheep who served Jesus and the goats who drove by King Jesus asked the same question. When did we see you? They were both surprised. That's going to be important. More on that later. The question for me and for you, are you a drive-by fan of Jesus? Or when Judgment Day comes, will you come to be found surprised that you were in fact serving the King? Or will you be surprised that you just passed Him by? I confess that in reading this text for years, I thought as I read it that it was really all about the need. Those needs listed there. And we'll discuss this further, but this text certainly and simultaneously does deal with how to treat people with a fifth commandment kind of mandate. But this vision isn't about the need. Over and over again, as we read this text from Christ, it points us back to King Jesus, Christ the King. The Lord of the universe. And hopefully the Lord of your life. Now there's much to unpack in this vision from Jesus There are nuances that we won't be able to fully uncover in the time we have today, including the translation of all nations, that word ethne. Some scholars say it was just to non-Christian Greeks and Gentiles and others say, no, surely it's the context is for all of humanity that most commentators take it as. Or, Or the detail about the least of these my brothers Most now agree that Jesus is talking about his disciples, that they're included in those who would suffer like he lists here. We won't be able to get into every detail of Jesus' vision, but what we will do is we'll drill down to the essential realities that Jesus doesn't want us to miss. The key point of his testimony here And that is, Christ the King, Christ is King. And He alone holds our future. He alone holds our future. And in that future, as we heard in preceding parables leading up to this, about heaven, as heaven comes, Something else is coming. Jesus tells us when He comes again, judgment is coming. Yes, there will be a final. And Jesus tells us what's going to be on it. You see, 
as one commentator put it, the thrust of this passage as the climax of a discourse on judgment is its portrayal of the ultimate sovereignty of the Son of Man as our universal judge. So Christ is King, and He alone holds our future. We have to hear that in every bit of this vision. And it's a vision, much like we read in the book of Revelation, different from a parable. Jesus is giving a picture of what is to come. And under these overarching truths, much is revealed about who God is, but also about humanity and what the contours of life are of a life in Christ and what it's all about. Let's take a look at those needs that Jesus listed for a moment. Martin Luther teaches the Ten Commandments, and when he does, he reminds us that we can, and we can really read this plainly, that they teach us about loving God and loving people. And in loving people, we love God. And they reveal to us our relationship with God as people in the image of God. So even if you're here today and you don't confess Christ as King, as the only one who holds our future, you have to admit that we as humans find meaning and purpose and significance, transcendence even, when we serve not ourselves, but others. It's why when we see in our news feeds these days about cowardly and disgusting ways men have treated our sisters and our mothers and our daughters for their own selfish gains, that we get angry and we get disgusted because we're touching on the love that God has for people and the human dignity that God gives us. And so as he lists hunger and taking care of the stranger and the sick and the naked and those in prison, we get fifth commandment, thou shalt not murder commissions. And we're reminded that we can't omit this commandment either. We can't omit the care of the sick or omit the care of the hungry. We hear in this text ways that we can not only honor the fifth commandment, but honor human life and therefore glorify God. As Luther put it, for since He has shown us mercy as to save us, we are also to act toward our neighbor in a manner as not to transgress against this commandment, which especially demands love and mercy. And so in this text, we discover something. You see, the scripture reveals where this impulse in humanity for the other comes from, where this impulse for human dignity and life come from. It comes from Christ the King. From being made in the image of God. 
And when we reflect the image of God, when we honor these commands, we serve none other than Jesus himself. And when we don't, we ignore Jesus. Let me say it clearly. Human dignity comes from nowhere else but Christ the King. There are those who acknowledge this dignity but don't recognize where it comes from. And if the least of these are Christ's servants, then Jesus identifies. He identifies himself with those who suffer. And so we become those who are judged by the way we treat Jesus. So you must be asking, at least I was, as you read this text, does this mean, unlike what we've heard elsewhere in the Scripture, that we're saved not by our faith in Christ, but instead, it seems here, our good works? Now we can only come to that conclusion if we don't read the whole word. Even in this text, over and over again, it points us back to the king. I hope you're starting to hear the focus that we cannot be saved apart from Christ the king. And it can only be considered a good work if it's toward the king. After all, James says that every good gift comes from God. Now, this is important. We are, as the Scripture confesses, saved by faith. And if we're saved by faith, it will show up in good works. What we see in this text, as one scholar put it, this is evidential, not causative. This is evidential, not causative. Both the sheep, and we know this because both the sheep and the goats didn't recognize Jesus. They were simply functioning out of their identity. And this evidence of a transformed heart is what we see in the sheep. And the evidence of an untransformed heart is what we see in the goat. You don't have the power to transform your heart through good works. But good works are the result of being transformed. So where do we get this identity? In baptism, the Scripture tells us we die and rise with Christ. We are saved, as Paul will write in Ephesians, by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, His artwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand, the Scripture says, as our way of life. So our way of life, having been recipients of this grace is good work. A Lutheran pastor put it this way, faith alone saves, but that faith that saves is never alone. It's always accompanied, or as I would say, followed by good works. 
Even Martin Luther acknowledged that this paradox is sometimes hard to grasp, that although we're saved apart from works, and we're never saved by works, that in our salvation, what follows is always service to Christ the King. So on this final, with judgment coming, Jesus says that our good works follow our identity. After all, the same word is getting modified, but by different adjectives here in verse 46. Eternity is being modified by life or punishment. And so this text today from Jesus, these words from Jesus are both words of hope and words of judgment. Words of hope that you and I have a holy calling. Words of hope that evil will not have the final word. King Jesus does. And while it's true on this earth, our role is to judge and evaluate actions. It's Jesus who decides upon eternity. Our way of life is ordained by Christ the King. The gospel hope is that our lives now have meaning, purpose, when done under Christ, when done unto Christ. And the warning is that we become drive-by Christians and we miss out, and our life is in eternity modified by punishment instead. As Jesus said in verse 46, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So what does that evidence look like? Depends on the context where God has called you. In the parable in between the one we read last week and the vision that we hear this week in Matthew, Jesus tells the parable of the talents about making use for God's glory, the gifts that we've been given. So those gifts include for us being members of Faith Lutheran Church to care for fellow members of the body of Christ here, to pay attention to the Christians persecuted around the world. Or how about the members of the body of Christ that you're related to, the ones in your own home, your kids, or your spouse, or your co-workers, or your fellow student, your teammate. I read recently about Carson Wentz. He's not even on the team I follow, but he's on the greater body of Christ. And before games, it seems this year, they haven't just been winning. He's been baptizing members of his teammates into the body of Christ. He speaks up for Christ in the place that God has planted him. Won't we do the same? How will your way of life in Christ be revealed? We begin with King Jesus to answer that question, the source of life. The artist gets to define what his artwork is. Read that text again in Ephesians 2 or come back to Matthew 25. 
Judgment day is coming. Like we learned last week, however, while we still have breath, Jesus gives us the opportunity now to live into our identity. We're saved by grace through faith. And we're called to live like it as bearers of the image of God. Martin of Tours, for whom Martin Luther was named after, came across a beggar, at least as the story goes. And he was wearing his military jacket, his soldier's coat. And as this beggar requested money, he didn't have any. So he decided to help out. And he somehow, it says, cut his jacket in two and gave him half. He had a dream later about seeing Jesus with just half a soldier's coat on. And so he said in the dream, why Jesus, why are you wearing just a half a soldier's coat? And he said, well, Martin gave it to me. Will I be found, will you be found giving just half to Christ the King or your whole life? Will you receive this great transcendent purpose filled life that God intends for you? Or will you just be a drive-by fan of Jesus? As we hear this text today, may we be found faithful. The redeemed people of God in the image of God. Saved by grace through faith with good works. As our way of life unto Christ the King. Amen.